For our scripture reading, we turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 2 speaks of the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. And now we read of a, of a similar event where we read of the Cornelius and those who were with him gathered together to hear the word and the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles, these Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. We read of that in Acts chapter 10, we begin at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Rise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went to the men which were sent of him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and 
one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he, command, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that it is he which is ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. And the passage we consider is verses 44 and the first part through the first part of 46. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, on this day we, uh, we gathered, as we gathered together as we do on other Lord's Days, on the first day of the week, we also remember that event so many years ago, the pouring out of the Spirit, which Christ spoke about. He spoke about how He would depart and go to the Father, and how He would pour out the Spirit and that the disciples would be empowered by the Spirit for the work to which they had been called. Well, in Acts chapter 2, we read of the pouring out of the Spirit, and how Peter stood up and spoke about what God had said in Joel chapter 2, and how what was taking place was a fulfillment of what God had said in, in Joel chapter 2 about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This event that we read of here is connected to that one. And we read that in the Scriptures that the Spirit came upon these Gentiles just as it had come upon the, those that had been gathered on the day of Pentecost earlier. And here we read about how the Jews were astonished as they saw that. Those of the circumcision were, that had come with Peter were astonished when they saw in the Gentiles also the Spirit has, they, has been poured out. They also have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we know that the outward sign of the speaking in tongues, we know outward signs ceased. Once the scriptures were finished, once the apostles were no longer on this earth, we read of those things that were signs in those days, but that now the scriptures are finished, and that outward sign of the speaking in tongues does not continue. Yet the work of the Spirit in us does. And that this passage is, leads us to consider what the Spirit does in us. You and I have received the Spirit. We're among the Gentiles that have received the Spirit. At least for most of us, we're not of the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At least that would be the case for most. Of the Gentiles... Receiving the Spirit. Well, what does He do? What does the Spirit do within us? In this passage, we're directed to think on what He has done and is doing within us. 
the Spirit. What characterizes those in whom the Spirit dwells? What do we read of with these Gentiles who were filled with the Spirit? What does one who is filled with the Spirit do? Certainly there's instruction in this passage about the work of the Spirit. The Scriptures speak much about the work of the Spirit. Jesus, before he departed, spoke quite at length about the work of the Spirit, what the Spirit would do. And of course there's instruction here about our calling as a church to bring the Word to the nations. As we see how Peter was how this was emphasized and stressed, how this was impressed upon Peter, that he was to go, he was to go to this Gentile and talk with him and those that were with him. That was impressed upon him. God is no respecter of persons. The gospel is to go forth to all nations and that there will be those in the different nations of the world who will, by the grace of God, believe. We consider this passage under the theme, Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. We consider, first of all, the sent preacher, secondly, the Spirit's work, and then thirdly, we consider the, the one people, Jews and Gentiles together in the one people of God. First of all, the sent preacher. First of all, relatively briefly, the history. Cornelius was a centurion, so he was one that had Roman soldiers under him. He was at Caesarea, which was named after a city named after Caesar Augustus. What specifically is pointed out is that he was a devout man who feared God with his whole house. So here's this Gentile who fears God, and also his house does. He feared God with all his house, and he was praying always. It's important to take note of that, what God says to him, and how this is related to his praying. Certainly there's instruction here about our own praying. It says he prayed always. He was always praying. Cornelius was. And it says in the, in the text, as he speaks of it, he says, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. It's easy for us to go through the motions of prayer without consciously thinking of that we're talking to God and that God hears Think of this, Peter, Cornelius, praying to God, and then he sees a vision of an angel, and the angel tells him, your prayer is heard. How that would impress upon him that his prayer is heard. God is going to send a preacher who's going to preach the word to them. To him and to those that are, that are with him. So he sees a vision, of a vision of an angel, and he's told to send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, surnamed Peter. And so he does. 
And he sends, he sends some, some men that are going to go to, to Peter, just as he was directed to do. Then Peter sees a vision. At about the sixth hour, Cornelius, about the ninth hour, which is thought to be like mid-afternoon, and then Peter at the sixth hour, roughly around noontime, thought to be. He's on a housetop and he's hungry. There he's told he, he's not on a housetop to pray. So then there's another reference to prayer. He fell into a trance, it says, and he saw something that was like a, a sheet that was knit at four corners. He saw it descend, and on it were all manner of animals, four-footed beasts, wild beasts, creeping things, birds. He sees all these animals. Apparently there was a mixture. There, was, there were those that were unclean animals were among them. And then he hears, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Now he's very hungry. And he hears this, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's taking note of the fact that there's unclean, an there's unclean animals there. And he says, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And then the word is, what God hath cleansed, what he has made clean, don't you be making common. Don't you be referring to as common. And we read of it being, it says this was done thrice. And then it goes up. And he's going to come to understand that what is this reference to animals, clean and unclean animals, that there's, an that there's a reference here also that the instruction here that God is giving him also has to do with, with people. And how he was to view going to this Gentile. And Peter makes a reference to that, that he wasn't to refer to them as, as unclean, common. That God is not a respecter of, a, of a person's. Now, it's good to see how the Holy Spirit impressed, how God impressed upon Peter that he was to go to this Gentile. First, he had the vision that he himself received, that Peter himself had seen, had seen this, this, this thing like a sheet descend and so on. Secondly, he had heard the, the Spirit speak to him. And after he sees the vision, then he's told, there's these three men that seek thee. Go with them. So the Spirit specifically tells him that he's to go. Then he hears about the vision that Cornelius has. He hears it from the men that came to him, to Peter. Then he goes there, and when he gets there, Cornelius himself talks about it. And all of this was serving to impress this upon him. The importance of confessing the truth that God is no respecter of persons. Man tends to look on outward things. God looks at the heart. And now, of course, with the coming of Christ and that he had reconciled us to God, it was the case that the ceremonies and 
figures of the law ceased, as we say in the Belgic Confession, the ceremonies and figures of the law ceased at the coming of Christ. All the shadows are accomplished. We take note, though, with regard to him being sent to this Gentile and to those with him, he is being sent to one's desiring to hear the word. Certainly there's a principle there with regard to the work of missions, looking for those who have a desire to hear the word. Now we're to bear witness as God opens up opportunity. We're to bear witness to the truth even before those that reject the word, even when there's opposition to the word. But we take note here that there are those that God will gather into his church from different nations, and we look to God to guide us to them to those who have a desire to hear the word. And we look to God to guide us, as he did Peter, as to where to go. Where are the people that are desiring to hear the word faithfully proclaimed? Well, God directed Peter to go there. And notice how Cornelius called his kinsmen and near friends. He was a faithful witness. Instead of just himself being there and maybe those of his immediate family, there were other people too that came and were gathering together. And then when they get there, what they want to hear is what God himself says. That is, that's what they want to hear. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? They hear something something like that in mission work. Having a group of people gather together and have them say, we've gathered together and we're here because we want to hear what God has told you to tell us. We want to hear the word of God. That's an important principle of missions, too. There are those in different places, certainly throughout our own country and elsewhere, who want to hear the Word of God and are familiar with the fact that there are many people that deny that the Scriptures are infallibly inspired. They very quickly, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, well, this isn't the way it really happened. It's not, this isn't a real record of history, many say. And there are those that are troubled by that. Well, does somebody, if, if it's the word, isn't this the word of God? What do you mean that this isn't actually what happened? Where else are you going to say that, well, this isn't actually what happened? Or maybe this is the way they thought back then. Or this was due to the culture back then. Things such as why men are to be the ones in the special offices. Well, that was just because of the culture back then. So then, then it's not really what God is telling us still today? It's important for us to go and to tell people and to show people that what we're saying is what God tells us. And that there can be those that are wondering, where today is there a church that actually preaches and still holds to what the Bible says? Is there a sound church like that? 
And we look to God to guide us in the work to bring the Word of God to such people that don't know in the area where they are where a sound church is. So what are some of the central points that we preach? Peter has sent to them. We see very briefly some of the points that he preached, that Christ was anointed, that he did good, that he healed the oppressed, and of course centrally is repeatedly brought up that he was crucified and he was raised. Now, to make those statements means also that one would explain why. Why was he crucified? What was the significance of his suffering? What's the significance of his resurrection? Central was the fact that they proclaimed the resurrection and that they were witnesses. They didn't drank with him. That was central. As they went from place to place, they repeatedly talked about Christ's suffering, his death, his resurrection. And then they would bring out, they were witnesses, and the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah and said this would happen. So repeatedly, they'd go to the Old Testament, and they'd also talk about what they themselves had witnessed. They'd talk about the coming judgment. He is the ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. That's another point that we see as central. Going forth and saying that, the, telling people that the Christ who suffered was raised and has ascended and has poured out the Spirit, he's coming back. And he's the judge. And we're sinners who deserve punishment, all those who believe in him receive the remission of sins, receive forgiveness. Notice it was at that point, we read what he said up to that point, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive The remission of sins. That central truth to proclaim forgiveness in Jesus Christ. To say to people, you know you're guilty of sin. You know you have sinned against the most high majesty of God. And that we deserve extreme punishment. Not only other people, but that I do. There is forgiveness. Those who believe in Christ, who look to God, who call out to God for forgiveness and for deliverance, there is forgiveness. All who believe in him are washed or cleansed. While he was yet speaking these words, the Holy Ghost fell on those hearing those who were hearing the word, the Spirit, fell. Now that was served to confirm that what Peter was preaching was the word of God, that as Peter is preaching this, the Spirit comes upon that. That certainly served to confirm that what Peter was preaching was the word of God. You also see how gospel preaching is the chief means of grace. 
we see in connection with the preaching of the gospel, we read of them receiving. While they were hearing the word, the Holy Spirit fell on those that were hearing. The gospel preaching is indeed the chief means of grace. Now, another point to take note of with regard to this is that Christ speaks through the church institute. Now, that's another important point, especially today. There's so many that they may agree with things that, say, are are taught, commonly taught in our churches, but they're not a member of a church anywhere. There's many that, as far as the importance of church membership, or perhaps moving to a place where you can be a member of a sound church, So what's the significance of the Church Institute? It is good for us, especially today, to stress the importance of the Church Institute. The angel tells Cornelius instead of... Notice that the angel, instead of just telling Cornelius things, he directs him to Peter. With regard to the Ethiopian eunuch, we read earlier, the Ethiopian eunuch, God sends Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. God's people come to learn the importance of being a member of of the church, the importance of gathering together. And here Cornelius has a group of those that are gathering together, and those hearing as they're gathering together receive the Spirit. The importance of the church institute hearing the Word of God preached from someone through the church, through those whom God has lawfully called and installed into that office. Now, all of us are prophets. We're all to bear witness to the truth. It's also true that there is importance of us being joined to to the church institute and submitting to the Word of God that's brought to us by men. Through men, whom God has called. Sinful men though they be, as Peter himself was, yet God speaks to us through that proclamation of the gospel. Now the Spirit falls on them. What does that mean? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? We often talk about the Spirit being poured out as the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ are the same. It's the same person. Sometimes called the Spirit of Christ. In 1 Peter 1, we read of him as the Spirit of Christ, for example. He's called the Spirit of the Son. The Holy Spirit was given to Christ. We read that when Christ ascended, he received of the Father the promise of the Spirit And then he poured out the Spirit upon the church. Given to God's people. That they might also be conscious of the fact that they are in Christ. And that Christ is dwelling in them by his Spirit. Oh, wait a 
if you put yourself in that time period, like take a look at the apostles, for example, they were talking to Jesus as Jesus was saying that he was going to depart and then he was going to send the Spirit. And as they were saddened as they heard about his departure, he told them it was going to be beneficial for them. He was going to send the Spirit. Jesus ascends, and then some ten days later, the Spirit comes. And they're conscious of the fact that Christ, the very Christ they've learned from, He's dwelling within them by His Spirit. They're members of His body. Christ is in us. We are in the Son. Christ is the the Son of God. We are adopted by grace for His sake. He is the only begotten. We are in Him. His Spirit dwells within us. And God's people then conscious of that. To hear about what Christ did for us. And so the gospel is being proclaimed about what Christ does for us and then also hearing that same Christ is in us. And guides us to understand the truth and strengthens us and gives us power. The Spirit is the power of God. And we understand from passages of Scripture putting things together that what was taking place here was that the church was, during this time period, the church was moving from its childhood days in the old dispensation to the adulthood. From childhood to adulthood. It's not, as many people say, it's not the birthday of the church. Pentecost is not a beginning of a gathering of a separate people of God. Now, in our churches, maybe there's some that aren't as aware of the fact that there are many people that speak of two peoples of God. I had somebody say that to me once, that they said that, you know, they'd heard you know, me speak about their people that hold the two peoples of God, and then he met somebody that said that. I thought, really? Really, you think there are two peoples of God? There are many that say that. Israel and the church are two peoples of God. And they say at Pentecost, this was the beginning of the gathering of now the church. It's going to be gathered from the nations, but that's a distinct people from Israel. That's not, that's not what Scripture says. There's one people of God gathered in the old in the days before Christ and also in the days today, now in the new dispensation, one people of God. Galatians 4 speaks of how in the Old Testament days, there was the church in her childhood. And there were the various, all the different laws that they had back then. Now those ceremonies and figures of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ. Back then, for example, they had this, the Old Testament high priest. Well, that pointed to the fact that there was going to be one high priest that would come, but now he came. Before there were those sacrifices that, had, that were continuing day after day. Well, now Christ offered that one perfect sacrifice. Now we've been reconciled to, to God. 
and the ceremonies and figures of the law cease, the shadows are accomplished. God had promised Israel that they would receive the Spirit, and they did. When you look in the Old Testament, God promised that Israel would receive the Spirit, and they did. And also, in that connection, God promised that he would gather a people out of all the nations, would be gathered together and brought into the one people of God. One people gathered from the nations, conscious of the fact that the Spirit of Christ dwells within them, that they partake of his anointing, our relationship to Christ. Christ is anointed with the Spirit, we partake of his anointing. That idea. We're prophets. What does it mean? That while he, Christ is the anointed prophet, but we, his spirit is in us, we partake of his anointing. We're prophets and we prophesy. But always thinking of it in our connection with Christ. He's the high priest. We're priests. We partake of his anointing. He's the king. We're kings under Christ. We partake of his anointing. The Spirit guides us to a deeper understanding of the word. We see how that was clearly the case, that God's people, who had difficulties understanding certain points that Jesus made, and of course that's still true today, it's, We still have much to learn. Yet we see how when the Spirit was poured out, there was a growth and an understanding of what God says. They grew more to understand the word of truth. It was not, it was not the case that the Spirit brought a totally new revelation. Something different than what the Scriptures say. It's not the idea that Christ teaches one thing and then the Spirit is poured out and teaches something different. But rather that the Spirit guides us to understand what the Scriptures say, what Christ taught. And what the Old Testament prophets said. The Spirit guides us to understand them and to see how the promises are fulfilled in Christ. And the apostles needed to be guided by the Spirit to see that, that they then could preach that to others. That they could go around and go to the synagogues and go as they went around different places of the Roman Empire, that they would preach in the synagogues to people that had heard about a Messiah coming, and for them to say, Jesus is the Messiah, he's God. He's God and man. And going through what happened to him, and pointing out how the Scriptures said this, and they witnessed it, and so on, and that the Spirit is poured out into the members of his body. They were... the. They were to preach the word and the Spirit would guide the people to understand. To understand the Scriptures. 
and to believe. How is it that you believe? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was in Cornelius and the other believers that were gathered there. It's the work of the Spirit. In the Heidelberg Catechism, when we say, whence does that faith proceed? We say, by the Holy Spirit. Then we talk about the preaching and the sacraments. Key, central, is understanding it's the Spirit that works faith. As it said in Acts chapter 11, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people understood that and rejoiced the Jews, because there was some opposition at first, when they heard that, that he had gone into the Gentile and so on. We read of that in the next chapter, Acts chapter 11. And then Peter speaks about what happened and so on. And he says, well, God gave them the like gift as he gave unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? He gave them the same gift. They believed by the grace of God. And we read that those that heard their, these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, God granted the Gentiles repentance. That's why these Gentiles repented. God granted it to them. We see how they confessed back then that salvation was entirely a gift of God. Not conditional. The purpose, of course, the Spirit works in us that we might glorify God. That we might praise His name. We read of the believers magnifying God. It says, they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. They magnify God. They praised him. They proclaimed his greatness. That's what characterizes those that have the spirit within them. You know, there are those that talk about all sorts of some rather bizarre things taking place if the Spirit of God comes in you and you fall over backwards. And there's also just some bizarre things that people might say, that people have said about what will happen when the Spirit is within a person. The, if the Spirit is within us, He guides us to believe the truth and to proclaim. God's glorious works, to magnify God, to praise His name. And that's something we delight to do. We delight to thank Him. Those that are conscious of the fact that the Spirit of God is in them, who are conscious of the fact that we're forgiven, who know that we're righteous in Christ, that will live forever, that the Spirit is within us and the Spirit will abide with us forever? We want to magnify God. We want to praise His name. That's the work of the Spirit within them. They wanted Peter to stay. 
You see that you see that their desire in that too. It says, Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. They had the spirit. They wanted Peter to stay. They wanted to continue to have communion with Peter there, one who brings the word of God. Those who receive the spirit, they desire communion with God's people, and they desire to continue to magnify his name and to hear, hear his word. And of course, this passage, one of the things that's being brought out in this passage is the fact that there's one people of God, Jews and Gentiles together. We read that those who had, they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because there were those that came with him, because that on the Gentiles also, and so on. It certainly this passage was to bring out, and this was going to be in the history, this, this point is brought out more so as you go through the book of Acts, that the gospel is going forth to the nations. That kept being impressed upon them. It was the case already at Pentecost that they're speaking in tongues and people are hearing wonder, wonderful words uh, works of God being proclaimed in the language in which they were born. And they're wondering, how is this? We're hearing, we're hearing these works proclaimed in the language in which we're born. Different people from different areas who had been gathered together at the, at the time of Pentecost. Well, certainly that itself was teaching. The gospel was to go to all nations. And Jesus himself had said that, to go forth to the nations. There was repeated instruction about that. Repeated instruction was given, and the church was growing in her understanding of that. And it was the case that, first we read of these, these men being astonished, now they come to understand. Well, didn't God, God said the gospel was going to go forth to the nations, and there wasn't going to be any distinction. That was a key. It wasn't the old dispensation, you know. There were those that were gathered from outside and so on. And there were those that had come and been circumcised and so on. But, the males. But, to understand, the Jews and Gentiles were going to be together in one body and there was going to be no distinction. Gathered from all the nations as one. That's the church. You know, our own country talks about this idea that this own, this, our country is out of many, one. Well, that is, that is true of the church. Out of many nations, gathered out of many nations, we are one people. The same spirit dwells in us. I look at a brother from a different country across the globe, and he's got the same spirit in him that I have in me. That means he's in the same body that I am. We're directed by the same head. We have the same Savior. The same body. The people of the world try to unite together and make a 
a carnal union. We're com- you know, back already in the days of Babel. Sinful man trying to build a kingdom against God. And God scatters them. And now they're going to speak all these different languages. Now the gospel's going to go to the nations and gather together a Catholic church from all the nations of the world, bringing out the importance of having a sound translation of the scriptures into different languages. You know, we talk about how in our own language we're thankful we have sound translation. It's still the case in other countries that even though the word has been translated in different languages, there's still the question of, well, how accurately, how well has it been translated? It's good to, talk, to get the, the, the scriptures themselves in the language of the people, but also not just getting them Bibles, but bringing the word. And we have many people from other nations right here in the United States. It's quite something today that we know there are people from all these different nations that are coming here and living in this country. Our calling is to go as God directs us. To pray. Cornelius prayed. Peter was praying. We're to pray. And we're to listen. To listen to the word. To keep going to the word. Pray to God to guide us and then also going to the word. And as God opens up the door and as we have opportunity to go, we see him directing us wherever that may be for us to go and to bring the word and to rejoice. To rejoice with people of God from different countries, from people in our own land or from other other countries, people with different backgrounds who together are saved by the grace of God. And who together rejoice to praise him. Our great Lord is in us. His spirit dwells in us. He cleanses us. He washes us. He'll abide with us. May we faithfully bear witness to the truth. And may we show in our lives that we're thankful. And that we delight to praise him. And to glorify the name of our God in what we confess. And in all of what we do. To the honor of his great and holy name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, our Father, we give thee thanks and praise. Thou art worthy. We are so thankful that by thy grace we have been saved. And that the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. May we grow. May we learn. As Cornelius and those with him who understood some things. But who needed to grow in their understanding. May we also, O Lord, continue, O Lord, to learn. And to grow. And may we magnify and praise thy holy name. Keep us, O Lord, from sin and evil. Forgive our sins. And may the Comforter comfort us and strengthen us to do the work to which we are called. For Christ's sake, amen.